I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. One of the things I love most about being a parent in 2021 is that there is no such thing as a normal family. Children today can have two mums or two dads, or maybe just one. They might be adopted, fostered. They might have been conceived through IVF, through egg donation, or born with the help of a surrogate. I'm so happy that this diversity enriches the well-trodden bath of parenthood. But what about our children? How much of this diversity are they aware of? How often are blended families represented in the kind of books that our children read? Jen Carney is a writer and illustrator who, with her wife, are mothers to three adopted children. Jen noticed how frustrated her son was that his kind of diverse family did not seem to be represented at all in funny fiction. And so she set out to rectify this, writing The Accidental Diary of Bug about Billy Upton Green, a feisty 10-year-old who makes witty observations about the world as she sees it. Part of a blended family, Bug is completely comfortable with who she is and where she comes from, even if others have questions. Jen, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I've got to say, my daughter adored Bug. She absolutely loved it. She devoured it in one night. And I think partly it's just a great story. The protagonist is wonderful and relatable. But I think there was part of it that she'd not seen a book like that before. Tell me a little bit about why, why you wrote it. Oh, well, that's so nice to hear that your daughter enjoyed the book um, and that she devoured it. That's 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 really lovely. Um, and what a nice introduction. And I love the way that you described our society because that's how we are today. So um, that's brilliant. The, the, the more people think like that, the better, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> why did I write it? Um, well, my son has never been an avid reader. Um, but when he reached age around about 11, he started devouring the type of fiction that's uh, funny and heavily illustrated um, and, and really accessible because he wasn't um, a brilliant reader either. Um, and one night he said to me, Mum, how come nobody writes books like these about families like ours? And um, we've always kept a range of books in our home that represent families like ours or aspects of it at least, you know, uh, but it was the books like these um, part of the what he said that that really struck me. So I couldn't find one anywhere. So um, I set about writing one and I wrote um, the very first draft of what has become the Accidental Diary of Bug really quite quickly over um, maybe a week. And I packed it with daft drawings and uh, interactive pages and silly humour. And, and all the time I incidentally represented his family. And as you said, he has two mums and he's adopted. And he really liked it. Um, and I, at that time, I just thought, oh, you know, well done me, pat on the back, that's great. And I put it up in our loft um, until my uh, second child, she's a girl, and she's a very different kind of reader. She's insatiable, really. She'll read lots of different things and quite quickly. Um, and I thought, oh, gosh, she'd run out of bedtime reading material. And I thought, oh, I'll get that manuscript from the loft, see what she thinks of it. Um, and I brought it down and... Um, 
It was really encouraging when I could hear giggles and laughter coming from her bedroom. Um, but the next day she said to me, oh, mum, she's got two mums just like me. So, so I, I didn't quite know what I'd written, which was quite funny. I was like, yeah, no. And she said, um, um, I really wish this was a real book so um, we could have a copy in the school library and uh, all kinds of kids could see how normal our kind of family is. And really it was that that made me think, Mm, do you know what I think I should do something with this I think I should try at least to um, get it published um, because it was really important not just for her to see herself reflected um, but for her friends to see how normal it is and you know to make um, different types of families more everyday and matter of fact and run of the mill because you know like you said it that's how our world is um, and it deserves to be represented and reflected in books and not books where necessarily it's the absolute main part of the story but just it incidentally yes that's a different type of family because that's how our world is and that's that's what deserves to be reflected so yeah my children in two different ways were the inspiration really behind the book. I think it's so important what you say about how culturally uh, books and fiction shape our views and I think that's such an important way of talking about it I think you know some parents um, and luckily I don't count myself in this group find it difficult to talk about you know the you know different families different you know different ways of having children which I think it's just such a great um, thing that we have in today's society but having books in which as you say a different kind of family is an incidental rather than the subject of the book, I think is a really important way to say there are many different kinds of normal. I mean, have your children ever been confronted by the idea that their family isn't normal? I mean, it's not the most common, but it's normal and it's loving and it's a family. Yeah, exactly. Um, They've not really been really open and really honest and we've brought our children up to be that way themselves as long as they feel comfortable um sharing their background they they're very happily will do um so we've always been accepted um they've had the odd question like um you know which one is your real mum when people don't know the full story and uh, where's your dad things like that and um like i say we've asked we've told them feel free to be completely honest about your life. It's your life. You, you, you say whatever you want to say. And we've also armed them with kind of quippish responses if they're not in the mood that day to go into the ins and outs of where they've come from. Um, and sometimes, you know, the, the book contains a few of those little anecdotes, like uh, which one's your real mum? Well, they're both my real mum. Why did you think one of them was made out of Play-Doh? You know, that kind of thing. You know, to, to try <laughs> oh, my and fake break. mum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's just a hologram that lives with us. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I don't know whether we've been lucky or just um, we move in circles where people are gen- generally and genuinely accepting of all types of people. Um, but yeah, no, no ever like malice ever questions, but no um, intent to upset. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm sure, you know, bullies can see a victim, can't they? And I'm sure, I'm no expert, but part of it is that you have equipped them so well. There's no shame. There's no secrecy. There's no kind of sentiment that their family is anything but normal. It's just the way it is. Um, yeah. And I'm sure that, that, that there is a right. part of that as well. Yeah, definitely. They're, they're very confident in who they are. And we've we've tried to equip them with all the skills to be confident and to say, you know, this is who I am and uh, this is how my family's made. And there you go. <laughs> yeah. How old are your children? Um, I've got a 16 year old, a 10 year old and a four year old. Gosh, so a uh, 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 yeah, big, big age range, big spectrum. Big, yeah, big uh, age range. And my, my son, um, who was obviously the first um, of our children that we adopted when he was little, he was so, so proud and outspoken about the fact that he had two mums. He thought it was the, the best thing ever. He would announce it in restaurants. But we adopted him when he was three and a half. So he was obviously very aware of what was going on. And he's a very... Um, spirited and opinionated he still is a young man and um that that was his main thing because he knew that was a bit different about him and that's where he could stand out a little bit so when he when he started school he was uh, all about I have two mums I have two mums and uh, of course all his friends weren't that interested and bothered about that they were more interested yeah but have you got lego you know what have you got at your house but but um, funnily enough, one of the uh, first parents that I made friends with at his school, she said to me, do you know what? Uh, we'll call him Jack. Jack came home the other day and he said, uh, well, 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 mummy, I want two mums. Two mums is the best. I want two mums. So dad was redundant for a while. But that's that's how much he loved it at the at the time. And uh, that's how open he was. And that kind of paved the way for this acceptance in his class. There was never anything but, uh, yeah, he has two mums and, and that's who he is. And that's, you know, that's a very small part of him, actually. But, um, yeah. And were, were you worried at any point that he might have a more difficult time? I mean, children can be quite cruel. I was watching that wonderful film Wonder the other day about the boy oh, who's got really great. severe facial deformities and the one thing that struck me was the the mother and the father going please let someone be nice to him at school today were you ever concerned that either you know having two mums or being adopted was something which was going to make his life a little bit more difficult especially when it came to making friends I think before we adopted children that was a worry for me I was a bit anxious that there would be um ostracized in some way or picked on as you say um but I think by the time we'd made the decision and had uh, you know massive discussions and hearts heart to hearts about yes why why are we doing this um I think we'd made sure that we weren't in any way um anxious about it and we tried to make sure that we passed that on so you know we we made sure we went into school and made sure that the school knew us and knew what our family situation was so that nobody would use any insensitive language or force somebody to you know make a father's day card um uh, that kind of thing but um i'd say that my worries had dissipated by that time and i think that has helped 
um, my children. And, and of course, on those days where they're making Father's Day cards, my children make cards for, for my dad, my their granddad or, or one of their uncles. So they're never left out of any situation. Um, they just do it a bit differently. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to be the only ones with, with no fathers. You know, there are, you know, families exactly. where the father is no longer there or the father has died or, you know, the father was That's never right. on the scene. You know, I'm teaching a bunch right. of an yeah. antenatal class at the moment and three of the women are doing it on their own. I mean, that's amazing, you know, thing to have in this world. For sure. Yeah. And there are so many different families in the schools that my children go to now and different types of people and where they've come from and different cultures and different um, um, gender identities. Um, and I think that's the way the world is because we're um, we've transformed some to some extent into such an accepting tolerant society it, it is easier for our children than it would have been say 30 years ago maybe 20 years ago maybe even 10 years ago um, well that's what you know you say that, that's helpful for children nowadays and your son is is 16 so we're talking you know when he's you adopted him this was um say 13 years ago um i know you've mentioned that you were the first same-sex couple in your county to be approved for adoption so you know you really are a trailblazer and, and i think it's amazing that in spite of being the first child presumably at his school with a you know two mothers there was this immediate acceptance. I think in a world where we hear so much criticism about how we behave as humans and there's so much, you know, rightly so, um, brought up, it's so lovely to hear when societies do get it right, when there are different, you know, people who are doing it slightly differently with different experiences who have had nothing but sort of positivity and inclusivity in their experience. It is. It's great. And um, as you say, my son's 16, so he's... Um, one of the first of the generation of children who will have gone through school um, not subject to the um, Section 28 law. Um, and Section 28 was a, like a 15-year law um, um, between 1988 and 2003, and um, schools and local authorities were not allowed to have any mention of homosexuality in their schools. So no books, um, no representation of how life was still like that it didn't it wasn't as though it didn't exist then um so it's great to think that that is not a thing anymore because that would have been so restrictive and for any child who were you know not just with parents who identify differently but who had their own feelings of um difference of their identity not to be able to access any books that might have reflected them oh i just think that was just such an awful thing to have in our society so I'm so relieved that it's gone and I'm really um, happy that this new generation of children aren't subject to something like that. When did you become aware of this law? Um, I was aware of it maybe 10 years ago yeah I wasn't aware of it at the time I was obviously at school when when this was in place but nobody ever said anything to me about that I don't suppose I was ever thinking oh what books can I find you just take what's there when you're in a school library don't you I wasn't necessarily looking for something that reflected me I probably didn't really know who I was at that time and uh, what my identity was Obviously, um, you're in a, a same-sex relationship, um, and this was, you know, obviously a while ago that you uh, became aware um, that um, that uh, that you 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 might be um, gay. Um, how 
difficult or easy was that to reconcile? I mean, I'm just aware that we're living in a much more permissive world today than we were, say, 10, 20, 30 years ago. Was that something that was difficult for you or was it actually surprisingly easy to tell people and were people accepting? Um, well, when I was at school, I don't think I really thought that um, about my sexuality. You know, I had a boyfriend because that was the thing to do. Um, and then when I left school, probably I was thinking, hmm, I'm not sure a boyfriend is the thing for me. And there, there weren't many role models to look up to or uh, I didn't see myself as I felt I was at that time represented a lot at all, really, in films or books or the, the things that I came across so in a way it was a bit difficult to kind of come to terms with it myself um, but and also I was from a, quite a Catholic family so I had that side of things to think about how are my parents and my grandparents going to take this it's not something that um, they will be expecting um, but when I did come to um, discuss it with my mum, when, when I had met somebody that I really love, which actually was, is my wife now, um, my mum was just like, well, you know, that's who you are and that's great. When are, when are we going to meet her? So that was all an internal kind of angst in me that probably wasn't needed at the time because um, parents are parents and parents love you and parents want you to be happy and that's how my parents um, my mum sadly passed away now but that's how she was and that's how my dad is and my, my three sisters and a brother and no nobody was in any way oh my goodness what are you talking about it's it was all just yes this is you Jen and this is we accept you for who you are so I think I've just been really lucky maybe in all my life experiences in that I've never had any bad word said to me about who I am I suppose, you know, it's interesting to think about your uh, worries about, you know, being honest with your feelings with your family and then the reality of them actually being way more accepting than you anticipated. And I wonder whether that, again, is to do with the culture. You know, how many, you know, cultural protagonists did you have in terms of books where the, the you know, the female was in, you know, same-sex relationship, but that was incidental to the story where it wasn't the kind of pivot point of the story because essentially, you know, if every single cultural reference is, well, she is actually in a same-sex relationship, then it suddenly makes you think it's all going to be about confrontation and unacceptance yeah. rather than the reality, yeah. which is your parents will love you, whoever. And actually that conversation with your mother was basically you saying, Mum, I've fallen in love with someone, which is the exactly. most joyous conversation that you can possibly, I think, you know, the day that my children say, I have lost my heart to someone, I will just think, oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly it. It's just about love and people and connections and who, who it is. It doesn't matter as long as they're making uh, you happy. I'm massively into the incidental reflection Um like you said it's not always to be an angst-ridden story where it's a the huge thing that this this thing of difference is the main part of the story because you know um you just want incidental reflection because because that's how our world is just a good story with different characters in and who represent our society yeah absolutely and I guess had you had that you know no element of oh and also they're gay, whoever the protagonist is, but we're not going to write about this, then it probably would have meant that you would have think, well, why should this be an issue? 
Yeah, maybe. I think also I had a friend who's a bit older than me and she had come out to her parents and um, her experience was that they um, packed her a couple of suitcases and left them on her drive, um, which was, you know, awful and terrible. And she she has a perfectly good relationship with her parents now, but that was their instinctive response to I'm I've fallen in love with somebody and it's a woman. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, is this going to happen to me? You know, I had those kind of those stories and others, too, that you read about um, were probably in my subconscious, um, What, which is why I was perhaps a bit worried. Mm. And back to you as a couple being the first same-sex couple in your county to be accepted for adoption. Do you think that was because there weren't that many same-sex couples who were really keen to uh, adopt or that there was some kind of prejudice that same-sex couples wouldn't be as as good parents, uh, adoptive parents for these children? Well, it was a change in the law. So until 2002, um, people who identified as gay were illegal, you know, it wasn't legal for you to apply to adopt. So um, as soon as that law had changed, um, you know, we were at a period in our life when we wanted children and we'd, we'd uh, talked about lots of different avenues to becoming parents. And um, so 2003 came along. We're like, yeah, we're, we're going to adopt. We've got room in our homes to adopt and room in our hearts. And we really want to give children a good home. So it was a change in the law. And um, I think it was just timing that we were the first. Not that we're anything special. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about how, you know, I am bringing my children up in an environment where there is a mother and a father and we have a very kind of traditional, dare I say, slightly boring family. And I come from a family like that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And yet I am so, it's so important to me that, you know, my role as a mother is to you prepare children for life and a big part of that is acceptance and you know for them not to be prejudiced in any way in spite of the kind of slightly narrow world that I'm bringing them up in so what as parents can we do to not only teach our children about sort of diversity but actually properly get them to accept it because we can live in a world where the law says one thing but if people feel a different thing if people feel like this is somehow shouldn't be accepted then you know, that's, that's no good. What can we do as parents just to make our children realize, as you have done, that whether you have two mums or two dads or one mum or one dad or whatever it is, that that is absolutely normal and that love is the key to happiness? Yeah, I think as parents, that's all we're trying to do all the time, isn't it? To uh, help our children to understand all you know everybody's different and every difference is fine so um I'm probably trying to do exactly the same things as you are about teaching about respect and I, I try to um, empower my children to call people out if they're um disrespectful or prejudiced in any way and um it's difficult sometimes isn't it when you're trying to stand up to somebody who might be prejudiced um but yeah teaching children that it's okay to stand up to people like that and call them out I think is a really good thing if a child can feel confident enough to do that you know uh, and And I guess also know how to do it you know in a sort of unconfrontational way to say you know because there are some people that just deal with it in totally the wrong way and all they get then is defensiveness rather than actual constructive you know illumination about what is important in life yeah I think something I always 
not always often say to my children if they're re recounting some some kind of incident that happened was uh, is um perhaps that person is a little bit frightened of that situation and if they could um have a chat with somebody about that particular kind of family or that particular um type of person um maybe maybe they would their fears would be allayed a little bit and um maybe you could be somebody who says you know well that person's different but that's nothing to be frightened of um they're different for a b and c reason and it's you you're not somebody who should really be calling them a name just because they're different um, because i think really it is a bit of fear that um is why people are prejudiced um and the other thing i think is that a lot of prejudice comes from um, parents children are not born with any isms uh, they learn it in the places that they grow up and unfortunately we do still have some parents who um, are not as accepting as you know we would hope that all parents would be and um, who are maybe racist and that racism is passed on to their children and it takes um, teachers and books and films and anything that um, reflects the differences in, in society to bring this to those children's minds and think mm, okay maybe maybe my parents are not right about everything and have their own opinions yeah I, I guess engage in a conversation I think a conversation is so important you know it's a debate and no one really knows who's right but it's so important to listen to other people's perspectives and just understand kind of where they're coming from um, it's I think it's it's I've had a you know conversations around you know how to ensure that your child is, isn't racist and I think so much of it you know a lot of parents think oh well I'm not racist my children won't be but actually it is about just teaching children that it is okay to call people out <laughs> to yeah, have that conversation sure. and to stick up and, and that can go for meanness too in the classroom it doesn't have to be uh, you know any kind of prejudice it could just be the child that's constantly mean instead of everyone just being a bit frightened of them saying I don't think this is okay. I think you need to think really carefully about what you just said and how you just made that person feel. And that's a yeah. bold, old thing to do. It is a bold thing to do. When you're eight or nine, you know, that I really uh, hail the children who can do it. Uh, Billy's a bit, in my book, Billy's a bit like that. She will call people out. She will, um, yeah, say that's that's not okay to say that. Um, she's the kind of person that I wish I could have been a bit more like when I was um she's 10 when I was 10 to to, st to stand up for what she believes in mm, absolutely and um any other tips so obviously um you know teaching them to sort of call it out what what else can we as as parents be doing to ensure that there is this sort of broad acceptance well I can only speak from my own experiences I try to give my children lots of experiences so I take them to different places and let them experience different cultures and different foods and um, you know I take my children to a pride festival so they can see all sorts of uh, different communities um, and keep keeping communication open you know we're very open we watch films and then we'll have a chat about what we've what we've seen in the film afterwards and get their viewpoint and talk about our viewpoint and talk about differing viewpoints and and how you can um still be friends with somebody who has a differing viewpoint with you and you don't ever have to bow to somebody's opinion um just because they're your friend so yeah communi communication and different experiences reading books watching films 
I guess and listening to to your your children you know letting them understand that they might be small and they might be uh, you know quite naive in some of their their views but what they're thinking is definitely worth listening to this kind of the total opposite of that Victorian children are seen heard I think it's so important that children are heard and that you feel from you know from the moment that you're able to understand it that you are heard you are heard your your opinion is valid we want to hear it um you know we we sit down at the at the dinner table at the weekends and we always have a good old chat about things try to bring up something that will spark a good conversation um and and they you know they join in and and it's really nice children are, are so perceptive and so um you know they have such good ideas and um opinions yeah it's as you as you say that listening to children and hearing what they think and they have experiences as well that you don't always get to hear about at, at school something's happened at school if you don't sit down and say let's have a let's have a chat about this and say oh yeah well at school this happened and you think oh right great we're going to talk about this we're going to hear things absolutely absolutely and in terms of um you know our culture in terms of films and stories Obviously, uh, Bug is fantastic and there's not enough of this genre. But there are there any films or experiences that you felt really helped sort of provoke a conversation? Um, you mentioned Wonder before, and that's a really good film for uh, nurturing empathy and trying to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and think about, gosh, if, if there is a child in your school or class who's in any way a little bit different, just think about how they're feeling and how would you want to be treated if you were in their shoes so you know that was a book first of course and films like that are are fantastic um for getting children to put themselves in somebody else's shoes um you know we watched a lot of over lockdown a lot of sitcoms um we watched a lot of modern family and glee and um, programs like that are actually really good um even though they're kind of tongue-in-cheek sometimes and they're light-hearted they're really good at reflecting society and in, in Glee, for example, one of the main characters has two dads and it's a massively brilliant, matter-of-fact, incidental representation of somebody who has two dads. There's not even a big storyline about it. It's just there. And things like that are great um, where you can you just see it and think, yeah, well, that's that's normal. Um, so that's good. There's, there's loads of, um, I wouldn't say loads, there's a lot of good books now where different types of families and different uh, cultures and different people are represented. I uh, recently read a book called um, Nothing Ever Happens Here by Sarah Hagerholt. And um, that's about how a family are dealing with um, the dad who is um, coming out as trans. And it just um, looks at all the um, responses to that from different members of the family, from the children to the mother. Um, and there are lots of books now that have got those kind of issues in them and for children to discuss and talk about and see. Mm. I mean, I even find um, we always read kind of books together before the children go to bed. And I always choose something that they wouldn't necessarily pick up or might not necessarily understand. And I even think some of the sort of old fashioned books where you've got sort of casual sexist references or even casual you know racist sort of sentiment it allows you then as a family to go you know because the children are sort of horrified going what just because she's a woman she's not allowed to do that and you know I'll say 
well, yeah, you know, you are growing up in this world of acceptance, but it wasn't always like this. And I think it's really important for them to understand that our world didn't always look like this because it inspires them that they can elicit change, like massive changes in terms of people's, you know, acceptance of, of different kinds of people can be elicited through individual going you know, this isn't right. I was just saying, you know, there was a group of women called the suffragettes who were like, we're putting our feet down. It's not okay that women don't have the vote. And they single-handedly changed that. And I think these kind of things are really important for them to understand that, you know, they might live in a world right now where everyone's very accepting and very everyone's always fair, but they're not always only going to be exposed to that. And, you know, when they do experience that, it's okay to say, I'm not comfortable with the way you had, you know, behaved or talk to that person. I think that's such an important thing for them to understand. Uh, I agree with you. And uh, similarly to you, we read at bedtime as well. And um, we went through a phase of reading some um, St. Clair's books. They're about a girl's boarding school by Enid Blyton and um, massive um, sexism and, um, you know, you're a girl, this is your place in those books. And they do books, all all books like that from that um era they do um evict uh, uh, elicit responses where you say I'm really glad that things are not like that anymore and of course I could be a football player if I want to be a football player and you know I don't have to be somebody who goes to sewing class instead of woodwork and yeah they are they're very good for um kind of rejoicing really how things are different now and you know you can be anything that you want to be doesn't matter um what it is yeah, but also, it's not necessarily always going to be an easy ride to get what you want. And that's OK. That's like part of life. But don't be afraid to fight that fight. Yeah. Yeah. True story. Um, uh, uh, Jen, thank you so much. It's been so lovely to chat to you. So The Accidental Diary of Bug, it's published 15th of April, isn't it? 15th of April. Yes. Yes. It's the first and in a series. There's two books to follow. To, you've been busy. I've been very busy <laughs> and I'm now starting to feel very nervous that people like your daughter have got it in their hands. <laughs> well, so, I tell but you, I'm very, very thrilled to hear that she enjoyed it. She genuinely loved it. It's a lovely um, book to read. It's full of great illustrations. And I think it's such an important genre of books to be sitting on every child's bookshelf. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you all for downloading this episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review us wherever you found this podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Jen and me, thanks for listening and goodbye. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.